G'day, ladies and gentlemen. Welcome to another Guitar Wank podcast. I am your host, Troy McCubbin, and uh, thank you for joining us for this episode 179. Uh, this is another great one with Bruce in Nashville. We'll continue down that lovely road in Tennessee when Bruce went out to uh, the Chet Atkins Appreciation Society event. You got to catch up with a bunch of amazing guitar players, and this one is no exception. One of my favorite guitar players. Guthrie Trap, he's a great bloke and a fantastic guitar player and Bruce got to sit down with him so we'll do that today. Another event coming up if you are in Los Angeles on in August and you want to go hang out with Mr. Bruce Foreman, he'll be playing at the Baked Potato, the famous Baked Potato in Universal City here. So if you're in town the 18th of August, check it out. Go have a beer with Bruce and he's going to be doing the red guitar and possibly... Surprise guess, who knows uh, what's going to happen there. But uh, 18th of August, go hang with Bruce Foreman. And also on the September 21st and 22nd in Denver, Colorado, I believe, the Rocky Mountain Archtop Festival. Look at that. The Rocky Mountain Archtop Festival. Tons of guitar players are going to be there, tons of archtop builders. And there's going to be clinics and just a bunch of cool stuff. It's uh, You can check it out at RockyMountainArchtopFestival.com. I believe... ArchtopFestival.com. That's what it is. ArchtopFestival.com. Go check it out. Bruce is going to be out there. And I imagine there's going to be a shitload of guitars out there and a shitload of other guitar players and lessons and clinics and... Everyone's going to get all excited about Archtops, which is, uh, if you go to the website, they look pretty amazing. So check that out. It's in Denver, Colorado in uh, September 21st and 22nd. And I believe we've got Seth, uh, is it Seth? Seth Rogen. (laughs) Is Seth Rogen coming on the show? No, it's not Seth Rogen. Seth, where is he? Hang on. Sean, not even fucking close. Seth, I don't know. We're going to have a guitarist on named Seth. We'll have him on as a guest. But in the meantime, we're going to have Sean McGowan. I don't know where I got Seth from. Uh, Sean McGowan, uh, Bruce caught up with him in Nashville as well. But he'll be playing the Archtop Festival as well as Mark Goldenberg and a shitload of other players. I don't need to mention them. But go check that out. That could be fun too. So anyway, there you go. Uh, Let's get into it. This track you're listening will be Guthrie Trap playing. Um, And you're going to learn all about Guthrie now. And uh, yeah, if you feel inclined, go to patreon.com guitarwank and uh, you can support us there. You can go to our website, guitarwank.com. Buy a mug, buy a t-shirt, buy a hat, uh, and uh, spread the word. You can email us at gmail, guitarwank at gmail.com, and, uh, or you can just spread bullshit over the internets about guitarwank.com. I don't know. Do whatever you want. Just we really appreciate your ears and supporting this podcast, which is a charitable event, I believe. Can we tax? We can't claim that on tax. All right, we'll work. Okay, guys. <laughs> Hope you're all well. See you all next week. Have a great week. Be safe. Community, community, community. And uh, Scott would say, see you later, bitches. Scotty! When are you coming back, mate? Next week.
Welcome, Guitar Wankers. And Nashville has been such a great experience for me, just meeting all these great people and hearing all these great music and meeting some of my heroes. And I'm sitting here across the table from a young man who's just one of my favorites. And I'm so grateful to get to meet you. Ladies and gentlemen, I'm introducing Guthrie Trapp. Welcome. You don't have to lean in. I think it'll get you. Okay. Uh, Well, Bruce, thanks for having me. I'm honored, and uh, and I can just start by saying that I already, I can already tell we're going to get along really good, and uh, and and seeing you last night, I got to hear uh, Bruce and um, a really good friend of mine named Pat Burgesson and Charles Treadway and uh, Duffy Jackson on drums and uh, play last night at our favorite local jazz club that we're so fortunate to have here called Rudy's, and uh, just sat and took a you know like a guitar master class as well as just relaxing and hearing some fantastic music with some friends. So, and man, just, I mean, totally inspiring. It's one of those moments where, um, you know, you, you, you're very inspired to hear somebody as, as great as Bruce and Pat and the whole band, but also, you know, makes you feel very insignificant on your <laughs> instrument at the same time. So, but, but man, what a fun what a fun way to to get to hear you first and then meet you too. Yeah, it's great. Well, it's great. You know, I'm so glad to have come here. It's just the, in the community of cats here. Everybody, you know. Yeah. Just everybody I've run into and met. And how great they all are. It's, it's just, awesome. I, I've been here about 17 years. I moved here when I was probably like around 22 or so, and I'm, I just turned 40 or whatever the math is on that. I've never been my strong suit, but. Um, Nashville's interesting because if it wasn't for the music scene here, it would probably be just like another town in the south. You know, it'd be like maybe Birmingham or or Raleigh or something. I'm not taking anything from those towns. But, you know, the music scene has made Nashville this really cool place. And and, and it's it's now we're really starting to see the growth of, of people moving here in droves. Uh, and it's really growing a lot, but I mean, if it's just it all kind of revol- revolves around that entertainment and the music, and it's just made it a cool town, mm-hmm. and a lot of great, great people and a lot of great players, you know, so, in the studios and right. engineers and all that. There's a definite strong music scene, you know. It's been fun. Yeah, and so what have you been doing most recently? Tell just tell us, or if you want to kind of tell everybody the the one listener who might not know who you are what you've been doing give us some background maybe we start there yeah i just you know I, I grew up on the gulf coast right on the florida alabama state line i was born in pensacola florida raised um right on the alabama side and um i'm an only child my parents are both still alive they're a, a superb human beings and um they just happen to be um kind of true old hippies you know the true spirit of that and um and um so um, my family, luckily for me, they they had what I consider to be to have really good taste in music, and there was not we didn't listen to top forty radio in the house, so I didn't grow up like most guitar players maybe that m- might gravitate towards the Beatles or Led Zeppelin or that's not fair to say because you know jazz is in there with all that kind yeah. of stuff too. But you know a lot of guitar players you, you ask them what they how they got addicted to the guitar and they'll say well i heard led zeppelin or i heard the beatles or i heard you know elvis or whatever you know yeah. but for me and i'm not saying better or worse but i did kind of was you know it was more songwriters and and bluegrass music and 
and a little bit of jazz, even though I didn't get it back then when I was young. And, you know, I'm not a jazz musician per se at all. And I didn't go to school. I quit school two weeks into the 10th grade and never went back. Because wow. I knew what I, I already knew I wanted to be a musician. And school wasn't for me. My brain didn't work that way. And um, just was lucky to grow up with, you know, my dad's youngest brother was a self-taught musician. There was always instruments around. And uh, friends and, and, and family members that were all artists and musicians down there. Kind of the 1% of that part of the country surrounded by, yeah. you know, South Alabama and you know Northwest Florida, uh, not exactly the most progressive place in the world. But my friends and family were very, you know. Mm-hmm. And I grew up in a geodesic dome home that my dad built. Oh, really? And you know, very different. I was very di- different than the way the, the other kids grew up down there, you know. And and not saying for better or worse, but that's just the way it was. And so I just I heard a lot of different music from when I was a kid, you know, and um, started picking up my uncle's instruments and, you know, fooling around on the, on the harmonica and stuff. And just when I was like seven years old and kind of started feeling around like what the notes were and what, you know, what we do is when we're kids, just trying to figure it out and find notes that we were hearing, I guess, and gravitated towards the guitar for some reason, you know. Um, probably because of him playing it you know mm-hmm. and she got into playing bluegrass first a lot a lot of flat picking stuff and and um and then my other uncle was into jazz he was had a, kind of some jazz records you know and and i kind of got a little bit of that but then got into more of that later um to where now i love i love i love listening to jazz and cuban music and all the salt you know that mm. kind of stuff too but but yeah and then i moved up here and i started you know touring a little bit and I uh, worked with a guy named Jerry Douglas for a couple of years. Or, well, wow. actually, six well, or seven years. Well, there must be a big jump from learning how to play the guitar and then playing with Jerry Douglas. I did play a lot in, on the Gulf Coast uh-huh. and um, got into like a, blue, a bluegrass local bluegrass band when I was a kid and traveled around. They were all older guys. I uh, did some traveling with those guys. And then um, I was really lucky because uh, at one of the big bars down there that had three or four different stages in music, you know, seven days a week, all you know, all the time. Um, they also had this uh, songwriters festival down there where a lot of the Nashville guys would come down the best songwriters would come down and do this two or three week long festival down there so that was like the vein of of professional musicians that I got to be around like guys like Mickey Newberry and Hank Cochran and Red Lane uh, really iconic songwriters that I was lucky enough to be able to jam with and learn from and guys like Larry John Wilson and these kind of like iconic older cats that you know yelled at me if i played on the vocals and stuff like that where right. i kind of started to learn a little bit about it and and then just you know i, I played a lot on the gulf coast with a, a band where we played a lot of original music and different kind of stuff kind of like um uh not comparing myself to this guy at all but almost kind of like a almost like a kind of danny gatton kind of band where it right. was uh, where we did blues and funk and country and some singer songwriter stuff and some train beats and just kind of an American roots music kind of thing, right? And so, with, with a lot of chops, I mean, a, lot of, a lot of playing, yeah. yeah a lot I, mean, of, I got a chance to play a lot, right? Yeah, and um, and then you know, I just kind of got burned out on the Gulf Coast and knew that I had to do something different. And some guys from up here that were coming down to the Frank Brown Songwriters Festival, they said, "Man, you, you should really think about moving to Nashville." And I just looked at them and. 
I said, hey, man, what am I supposed to do? Just pack my bags and move up there? And they said, yeah, that's what you do. You pack your shit and yeah. move up. That's what we did with thir- with three kids, you know. Yeah. So I just did. I came up here, and then um, I was very lucky, though, to kind of know. Um, I think I knew what I didn't want to do early on because of my family being so strong in really organic music. Like that, my dad is like a a huge uh woody guthrie i was named after woody guthrie so they're big folk music uh you know the whole uh the whole the whole thing that goes along with that you know um and so just i I knew that pop heavy pop music and commercial country music and where that was going i knew that wasn't for me and so i was really lucky to not have a um i've never been a person that's had a a, a, a really strict rigid plan but I could kind of see out at the end what, what I wanted to do and what, where I wanted to be even if it was by comparing myself to my heroes and what they were doing um, but I didn't know how to get there I just kind of went where the work was survival um, I knew I didn't want to get married and have kids and you know I, I still don't you know at 40 years old I'm still like kind of just going with the path of playing music and going where the good music is good people the work and then continuing on you know one one day after the next but uh i never really was concerned with um playing any commercial music you know and and it's funny because in nashville that's where the that's like kind of the big brass ring is it's all about songs here and getting your songs cut and being a country artist and all that that's what people that don't live here see is from nashville they see um, what's on TV and on the radio, but to be here and live here, we get to see all the cool stuff. Like talking to you right now, this very moment in time, I'm having a, another great experience in Nashville, which makes me continue to want to keep living here. You know, versus um, you know not having any great experiences and probably wanting to move to some other town. But it, those things keep happening here because uh, there is some sort of there's something going on here that's that's cool, but there's all those things that are that are that are you know that people that you don't get to experience unless you do live here uh like the jack pearsons and the pats and the songwriters that we know like pat mclaughlin and sean camp and all these guys that are you're you're never going to see them on tv you're going to hear songs that they've written probably but you know there's all this stuff kind of churning under the surface here that's keep that keeps us here you know yeah. So I'm getting off the subject. But no, anyway. no, I mean, to wit, because, I mean, it's interesting. On the one hand, the songs are kind of what made this, you know, it's, it was so famous for, like, Publishers Row, you know. Very like much a song town. We're, 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 we're yeah. guy, you know, like there's, I mean, a couple of guys I've interviewed mm-hmm. today. Yeah. Uh, would talk about uh, how there was all these writers writing songs and all these new artists needing mm-hmm. to do the songs and all these guys doing the demo sessions and right. all of that's all changing now. Mm-hmm. And um, and yet you, you, you're kind of almost talking about songwriters as if they're not really writing the songs for the hits. They're writing songs kind of in the artistic way that a jazz musician or roots musicians mm-hmm. would play. It's it's you know like you're almost at two. Yeah, you hear what I'm saying? Like the, the category of it, you know, it's yeah. not just the guys trying to write the hits. There's a lot of people who are just writing music in the same way you and I would play the music we love to play. Right, artistic, I guess, is a better right, for it. right. And here's how I would describe that: is is that there are a lot of people here that 
are trying to write hits to get on the radio and they're co-writing with other people and they're doing it every day they're going down into an office and they're writing songs every day all day long and the nashville's big on co-writing so they want to put all these people together to co-write uh and i look at that as a little bit um you know as kind of like almost like an assembly line kind of Mm -hmm. thing where they're just trying to churn out the next hit for the for the next to be the next number one song to me the the um integrity of that has kind of dropped down a little bit but with the songwriters that you know i mean i'm lucky to work with these guys but um uh the ones that i think are are uh, what i'm trying to say is that um there's a way for these guys to ride the fence of art versus commerce and the and the and the, the real kind of you know, I guess, you know, the successful ones and the ones that are really, 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 you know, raw, talented people, you know, they have kind of figured out a way to kind of ride that fence of, yeah, I've had these songs that have been very successful, but to a musician, those might not be our favorite songs that they wrote. Like, we go play a gig with them and they're, they're we, you know, they're, the hit part of the show is our, might be our least favorite, you know, even though they're still good songs. But the stuff that this these guys have written that hasn't been cut right. are fucking masterpieces, uh-huh. you know, like to us. But you're not going to hear that music on the radio. Right. So it's kind of a funny thing. Like, I, I always look at it like that. Like, it's just a, you know, it's you got to ride the wave or they got to ride the fence a little bit of art versus commerce. Because if you go too far art, then you might not be able to make a living. But if you go too far commerce, then you're you're selling out and not doing what you're true you know what what you're happiest doing so there's a little way to ride it right 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 and, yeah. and are you are you writing as well as you're writing right too writing yourself. songs yeah i don't sing or write any songs oh, okay i'll write some music yeah like instrumental songs you, but you'll collaborate with somebody who's got words and help them or you no? know i don't do, you don't I, do that I, either. I don't ever do that and yeah. i i have before since i've tried it but uh-huh. i wouldn't and I would do it again, but I'm not that good at it, Ugh. and I don't really yearn to do it. Right. So you, just, you I should if I was not well, as lazy no. as I am. <laughs> but you know, I've, I've never been driven to do it. I've never been driven to sing or write lyrics. I've always just I've enjoyed playing with kind of sideman to great songwriters and great singers. I love to. I love to do it. Right. But you know, I think um, that yeah, I'm. I don't know. I've just never done it, you know. Yeah, no. <laughs> but so, uh, you know, I always almost thought it was like a prerequisite for a living here or something. No, yeah. no, it's funny, man. I mean, I, I would, I would do it, uh, but I—that's not something I do. Maybe like you know, once every couple of years, somebody mm-hmm. might ask to do that, you know. But yeah. And so, what projects do you have going now? I mean, I know you told me about you're playing a jazz festival tomorrow. Yeah, that kind of came up. Um, uh, so. I'll back up a little bit and give you the full yeah. the full story, but I will back up a little bit. So when I when I just to give you the sequence, so when I first moved here, I was still going back to the Gulf Coast to work a little bit for a couple of weeks, and I'd come back up, pay my bills, and try to network as much as I could in Nashville, and then that went on for a couple of months, and then I ended up getting this gig downtown when Broadway with a band called the Don Kelly Band, which is kind of like the the godfather of broadway he always had the best band and and all this stuff down there so i got the gig with him and i did that for four years and kind of 
gives you good street cred here immediately, you know, on that street. And um, and that's a band that, like, Brent Mason and people have played. Brent and, and, and Johnny Highland came in. And then I was after him for four years. Then J.D. and Daniel. Yeah. And now this kid, Luke McCreary, is down there who's really, really good. Yeah. And um, so I did that. That kind of helped my career. That helped. That was a nice injection of of some street cred here that kind of you're kind of like the new gunslinger on the street if you do that which whatever I, you know I was yeah. lucky to do that but around that time like I did that gig for a while and then I started getting uh, calls Patty Loveless called and wanted me to go, go tour with her so I ended up working with her for like six years and that was my first really big like kind of Nashville gig right <laughs> with, a, with an artist and she was and still is I mean she's fantastic and we did some bluegrass stuff and some really great songs and it was a really great first Nashville gig you know with a legend and a great singer and then she started kind of slowing down Jerry approached me for uh, his gig and then I ended up working and I got to play on some of Patty's records too with Albert Lee and her husband uh, Emery Gordy with play bass and produced a bunch of her records and then Started working with Jerry, who's one of my all-time lifelong heroes, which was a huge, huge honor to get the phone call from him. And worked with him for like six or so years, too, off and on. Uh, Played on a couple of his records. What was the... I'm sorry, I didn't... I don't know what the configuration of that band was. That band was... It was uh, Jerry on uh, resonator and guitar, drums, upright and electric bass. One guy played, you know, not both at the same time, but... Uh, uh, upright and electric bass, drums, dobro, resonator guitar, electric and acoustic. I played electric and acoustic guitar, and then uh, fiddle. A lot okay. of times we'd have fiddle player, and so that was a blast. We did all kinds of cool stuff with Jerry and learned a ton. And and then when Jerry's gig ended, I had been here long enough that I kind of stopped. I stopped going out on the road, and I just wanted to stay in town at that point for a while, and just kind of kept going you know I, I worked a little bit with a girl named Ashley Monroe who's a really good songwriter we put a band together for her did some touring that didn't last very long and then I got hooked up with John Oates met John Oates in Telluride and I've been working with him a bunch really great friend uh, superb human being a blast to be around and um, so when he goes out and does his solo stuff and his solo records we do those and tour with him Okay, which is great because it's not a lot because uh-huh. he still does Hall of Notes, but right. we do get to go out and do uh, uh, John's gigs, which are they're great because they don't keep me out of town a whole lot. Mm-hmm. But when we do go out, it's great. It's like going out with family, you know. Yeah. And then I got into the education thing. I got people that were interested in taking some lessons, so I got to start doing that. I got approached by a company out in Napa, California, called Artist Works. Oh yeah, I know. Where about we that. do a online curriculum for country electric guitar, quote unquote, not limited to, <laughs> but. <laughs> But kind of, you know, in that vein. And then, um, God, just that. And, um, you know, I still do some sessions here in town. And um, I play some gigs with my trio with Michael Rhodes and Pete Abbott. We're getting ready to do a festival tomorrow. And then some stuff for NAMM show with Diodario. And just, you know, I, I tell people, like, they ask me what I'm doing. I say, man, I'm really busy, but I don't have a clue what I'm doing. Right. <laughs> but we managed to stay busy and have some fun. And I was lucky. lucky uh, I mean, as far as survival, I was lucky to get in. I bought some property from a friend of mine about seven or eight years ago, and that enabled I rent that out, and that kind of enables me to. It pays for my mortgage. I shouldn't be saying this, but it 
bit helps no, pay, no, pay my mortgages and that. So especially that, in this town because I know oh, the man, housing has just exponentially. It's gotten crazy. So that that was like, of all the things I've done, that was one of the smartest moves I ever made because that lightened me up a lot and able to enables me to kind of stay in town and not have to. I can pick and choose what I do, which is very, very. I'm super, super, super grateful for that. But um, but yeah, man, that's kind of my story a little bit, you know. That's, without rambling on too much longer. No, that's great. I mean, and and, and like <laughs> for you in in the in the in your future, as you look out, you know, you're now forty. You say, mm-hmm. you know, looking yeah. you looking for like ten years from now. What? Where do you? Do you have any like vi- at least desire for like certain kinds of projects or like, um, going in a direction musically that is new for you? Anything like that? Yeah, I. A lot of people consider me a country guitar player because they 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 know about the Telecaster and the playing with Don and all those years, but I really don't consider myself a country musician. I I like that music and I can play it. And especially like the real stuff, like the new modern country. I don't know how to play that music. Um, but well, they have raps now. They don't even have guitar solos. Because it's yeah, <laughs> it's gotten so much into that and yeah. sounds that I don't even know how to make on my guitar. You know, I'm pretty traditional when it comes to that. And and um, but so, I, I, but I do like a lot of different kinds of music. I'm not schooled in any way with with music, so I play by ear and and stuff. But. Um, you know, I, I do. I have made a couple records of some original music, and from forty to fifty, my the next ten years, I really want to focus on getting out of Nashville and and just going out and playing some gigs in some different cities. Mm-hmm. I love to travel with your music, with my music. I'd like to do some of my music. And, and, and your music is, and really is a trio in your right now in your mind. Or what's right. the sound you hear of the ensemble? I like. I I, I do love the freedom of a trio. But it, it can, I, but I think it does get a little, you know. I don't know what the word is. It, I mean, I hate to say it, but you know, maybe it's not boring, but it gets a little maybe yeah, one all dimensional. The all the same. Yeah, it's yeah. all the same. It gets a little, you know. And even when you're we're going from different styles, it's still it's bass, drums, and guitar. Yeah. But um, and I like the freedom of that. I like the freedom of having not being bound to big chords if I want to go somewhere where the bass you know uh, to kind of move around a little bit I can and not be worried about another rhythm instrument that's great there's a freedom there for sure that's a lot of fun but um, probably a little bit bigger different sound you know I I, I like to have a keyboard player it's fun to have keys and um, uh, you know I'm kind of open to that you know it'd be fun I like to have a percussionist I like that I I love um uh, Cuban music a lot, so yeah. the, the all the, the all the um, uh, syncopated percussion and all that. I love that way that sounds. So maybe something like that. I don't know, but the trio cool. the trio is easy and it travels well. Right. Well, you know, I mean, <clears throat> one of the things is the realities of the business. Right. You know, logistics. I mean, a solo act is the easiest thing to travel with. The duo is the next easiest. To travel. Right. You know what I mean? It's, yeah, yeah. Um, I, I'm, I'm quite a bit older than you, you know. And, and when I started out as a band leader in my twenties, mm-hmm. uh, I could move four people around the world, and you know, hotel rooms yeah. were, were twenty five dollars a night. And, Good you know, Lord. And you know, 
and now parking is twenty five dollars. Right, you know, and, and gas was cheap, and we were making the same money that we were making now. You mm-hmm. know, so <laughs> right. So uh, I mean, I can see how like that has definitely spawned a whole new industry of like mm-hmm. limit. You know, like people learning how to do big things with small numbers. Right. Right. Uh, I'm not saying that's necessarily a good thing. I'm just saying it's a reality Mm -hmm. that's even, like, I'm realizing it for myself. I've got this one-man thing, and Mm -hmm. I'm thinking to myself, hmm, now, did did I do this because it was a good business move? Did I do this because I was forced into it? Or I did it mm-hmm. just because artistically it felt like the right thing to do? Or all and of we, it. Yeah, I don't even know. I mean, yeah. you just kind of move through life mm-hmm. chasing the sound. Right. And, you you know, you kind of stop and look back and see what happened. Mm-hmm. You were not good at looking forward other than chasing the music part. Well, that's it, yeah. Yeah, so for, I mean, for me, that's, I would like to do more of that. And, and, and especially, I mean, just because... With the online thing, I've been pretty good about you know keeping my social media, which I I hate to even say that because I wish I didn't even have to look at any of that stuff. But with what we do, it's what it is. It's been that's been pretty good. And then to to run all that, to have increasing fans or whatever you want to call it, support. I like to just call it support from not touring and just being in Nashville and posting stuff, you know, lessons or some stuff, whatever. It's almost like you're kind of running this all from your computer, which is so weird. But it does help get, you know, if you can't tour, that's the next best way to get your stuff out to the world. So my next, but taking that and some YouTube stuff where people are kind of like, hey, man, come to, we'd love for you to come to the UK or, man, come to Italy, man. We got friends over here. We want to come here. I want to start capitalizing on some of um those relationships just not for the money but just to get out to those areas and play some music outside of nashville because it's a tough crowd here it is <laughs> you know i mean god it seems everybody seems so, so supportive and so nice it, it is yeah especially when somebody like you comes to town i mean it's we all we need that but um as far as you know everybody here on a i mean you look at it like daily weekly monthly yearly you know 10 20 30 years you're in a town like this where you're just constantly being pummeled with the best guitar players the best guitar players the best songwriters the best singers the best and you hear it nashville la too new york i'm sure you're just hearing so much but the thing about nashville compared to la and new york is correct me if i'm wrong but what i see is those two cities are the biggest cities in the country and they're very fragmented. You're dealing with, what, 10 million people, 14 million people in New York? So the scene is very fragmented. Like, you walk down the street in New York, you know, you're going to run into a lot more people than before you find find a guitar player than you do in Nashville. I can take two steps and I can, there's three of them right there, right? <laughs> so you're taking, you know, you know, these two biggest cities in the country, and then you're going to Nashville where... Like I said, we're just another little small town compared to those places, but it's so concentrated here. Yeah, like well, everybody's it's so a, a concentrated here, practically. Yeah, yeah, so it's a little bit of a tough crowd. You go out and get, you know, people aren't they're not ex- they're not as excited about it, and a lot of it is it's like that gets dumbed down a little bit. The sheer the sheer enjoyment of music can get glazed over here a little bit, and uh-huh. so if you're not aware of that, then you you got to get out you got to get out of town a little bit so like when we go out with those and we go to you know anywhere outside of nashville charlotte or 
or anywhere, man, the crowds are, man, they're excited to hear some music. Right. You know, they're not getting it like we're getting it here every day, you know? You know, yeah, I got a question about Nashville. And just like, you know, I mean, I played in New York, Mm -hmm. and New York, of course, is great for jazz. I mean, if if you go to New York, some of the things you do in New York, if you're a tourist, you go to a Broadway play, Mm -hmm. see the Statue of Liberty, Mm -hmm. you hear jazz. Yeah. So you've got, along with the jazz fans in New York, the tourists really are supporting the music scene as yeah. much as the other musicians and the jazz fans are. Right. And, and in L.A., what, one of the reasons the music scene kind of hurts is because there it's like Disneyland, Universal Studios, mm-hmm. go look at movie stars' homes, right, right, go right. to Hollywood, mm-hmm. you know, and, and it's like no one really thinks I'm going to go hear jazz music or, or even rock music right, right, in right. L.A. Mm-hmm. But it, obviously Nashville is music city, mm-hmm. kind of like an Austin kind of place. Yeah. And uh, so is, is there like a almost amusement park feel to certain elements yeah. of the scene here or no? Yeah, there are. So I'll, I'll explain it like this. To me, there's, there's, two, there's two different, to, to generalize, there's two different sets of tourists. You got, the, you got the ones that come here and just want to go to Broadway and they want to go to Luke Bryan's club and they want to go to, you know, um, uh, Jason Aldean's club and all that and they just want to go to Broadway and get drunk and hear 80s cover music, right? I'm generalizing here just to no, save time. Yeah, yeah. But then you got the other group of tourists that'll find somebody like me at a restaurant or a bar and, and we'll strike up a conversation and they'll go, man, you've been living here for... 17 years you're you're a musician here man where do we go where how do we get off the beaten path what's the cool tell us where the cool shit is and then i'll tell them like okay you're interested in that i'm gonna make you a list of all the places you that you need to go versus like this group over here that i'll just go man you guys need to go to broadway you're gonna have a blast everything's free there's no cover charge you can walk up down the each side of the street you'll be drunk in three bars and you'll hear all this crazy rock and roll music or whatever they got going on down there and you're gonna have a good time, but you're not gonna see the you're not gonna see like the underbelly of Nashville. Like so, I'll tell guys to go to. I'll say, man, you want to go hear some real music? Go to the Station Inn. Go to Rudy's. Uh, you know, maybe go to a handful of other places. Um, and then I'll give them some food recommendations and kind of rock on. But um, there used to be Opryland out here, which was actually it was actually an amusement amusement park. But we never, musicians, local guys, unless they're playing the Opry or something, we don't even like to acknowledge that that part of town exists because it is. It's just like a mall, and it's an amusement park kind of cheesy vein that, you know, kind of like the hee-haw, for lack of a better comparison, that kind of, you know, kind of hillbilly kind of vibe, right? Mm -hmm. Which Nashville is so much more than that, you know? We do. We have a pretty good jazz scene. I mean, uh, for me, I mean, we've got... You can go down to Rudy's and hear some really good music, you know, and get guys like you have guests come in like yourself that it's just a special thing, you know. So, yeah, cool. I kind of look at it like that. Okay. You know, you got yeah. guys who are going to come. Like, there, there's so many people. Now, more than ever, you've got, we're the number one destination for bachelorette parties in the in the country. Oh, you know, wow. Even above Vegas. Like, <clears throat> you know, every day of the week, you've got Airbnbers coming in here that are staying all over town. Um, you know, bachelor parties, bachelorette parties, and they all, I mean, Nashville has come, it has become an event destination and a party destination. It's big time. You go down to Broadway and it is like crazy party nonstop, you know. 
but I, you know, I'm not going to move, you know, and, and I always say a rising tide floats all boats. So business is good. You know, I mean, if, uh, there's a lot of people moving here and the town's changing a little bit, but not enough to make me move yet. Yeah. Well, <laughs> you, you know, know, you seem happy, you know, yeah, things are man. going good for you too. Yeah, yeah you know? things are yeah. good, man. I'm, and I've, I've kind of, you know, I've, I'm kind of like the quintessential, like if you're, if your daughter, you know, your mom looks up musician in the dictionary and she's afraid that, you know, her daughter's going to go out with the musician, I'm the dude in the, in the dictionary, like my picture's in there, like yeah. bachelor, you know, guitar player, you know, I mean, I'm, I'm never, and I'm kind of joking, but I've never got, I've never been married. I don't have any kids, knock on wood. Uh, and I've just always, um, I never knew that I wanted to do that. Mm-hmm. I never, like some people, I guess they know. I don't know. I've never known that I wanted to have a family. I just kept going with like, I, I love this life and that what we do. And it's it, it's adventurous. And even though I'm doing five months, no drinking, it's still an, it's still adventurous. <laughs> <laughs> right, right now, so far. Right, so, I mean, you know. Well, you I, just stopped like 30 minutes ago, yeah, right? Yeah, yeah, I don't, so I don't know what else to do. I mean, yeah, this is what I do. I like to play the guitar, and I like to, I like the camaraderie that goes along yeah. with the music business. Uh, you know, it's a, it's. I like be, being light on my feet. If somebody calls and, and wants to go to Europe, I can leave tomorrow morning, you know. Um, I, I like the freedom. It might be a little selfish here and there, but... I, I like that. I like the life. You know? Yeah, I like yeah. the life. Yeah. Well, now that you've told us what you do like, now mm-hmm. share with us some of your pet peeves about shit that happens on the bandstand or with other musicians or with band leaders or. Oh, um, yeah, all the real shit. Um, God, that's a tough one, man. God, ah. Uh, like, what was the last thing that pissed you off? <laughs> The last thing that pissed me off was um, do, do, I had I, I was I was sitting in on this on this thing as a guest and uh, and we had I had two or three songs to play in the whole night and the place was sold out and this um, this singer that we were uh, playing with on like me and him were the guests on the same songs and I had two songs to get to blow on you know and he botched the arrangements and it got all sideways and the chord structure got sideways and I'm soloing and I'm, I'm not feeling like I'm playing over the right chords that's the only time I can get a little miffed is when I'm not putting my best foot forward mm-hmm. when I know it could be right yeah and it's not and I mean that's pretty bad though for the for the chord structure of the song yeah, oh, no, that, yeah. that's pretty bad yeah. And I was a little miffed, but nobody got hurt and everybody said it sounded fine. I knew it was a little sideways, but it wasn't a complete disaster, but it was a little it was a little rocky. Yeah. I wasn't too thrilled about that, but I mean, I'm pretty easy going. I'm always usually the dude that knows the least about music on the stage. So I'm not the first one to that feels like I should be jumping on somebody else. Maybe that's just an insecurity for not knowing exactly what I'm doing on my instrument. You know, because I do play by ear, and I don't know. There's chords and stuff that I play that I don't know what they are. I don't know what they're called. Really? Yeah. Which is, that, is that's really which is not ideal. I mean, I should know. I mean, well, I mean, know. it's whether you can play on them or not. It doesn't matter what they're called. Yeah. I mean, so you know, I have a little. I have a little insecurity about the, my lack of of trained musical knowledge. 
but like Pat goes, he goes, man, I'm not showing you all that stuff. He goes, it's going to change the way you play, you know? And I thought, well, I never really thought of it like that. So not that that's a total cop out, but well, you know, I mean, if you want to learn know. it, you'll learn it. If you want to learn it, you learn. Yeah. But I mean, as far as pet peeves, man, I don't know. I, I, I like air conditioning in the South. <laughs> if you're on a tour bus and the air conditioning quits working, man, that sucks. <laughs> or, or like playing outdoors and like tomorrow night we play this jazz festival. And it's going to be outdoors in, in July in Nashville. It's going to be hot as a motherfucker out there. Uh. But, I mean, you know, stuff like that. I don't yeah. know. High maintenance shit, I guess. I don't know. No, that's not what so about bad. What about you, man? What's How would... Give me an example of that. Of well, what? things that piss me off. Uh, yeah, like... Guys that make decisions before the music happens. That really pisses me off. Okay. When I feel like I'm playing with somebody and they they know where it's going to go, they make a decision how they're going to play. Mm-hmm. And we can't, you know, ride together. I got you. Yeah, yeah, I've yeah. I've got to go their way, you know. Yeah, and, yeah. And rigid, that, rigid. Yeah, That's yeah. Okay. and yeah. predetermined stuff. Yeah, you know, yeah, it's like, yeah. hey, I don't know what's going to happen. We're gonna, we were here. We, we've worked our whole lives to be able to do this. Let's just figure out where it goes when, right. I mean, when it gets there. You know, what I mean? yeah. Mm-hmm. I mean, if I'm the soloist, then I have more to say where it's going to go at that moment right. than you do. But mm-hmm. still, we all do. And so when when I hear people that like that aren't listening or making decisions mm-hmm. unilaterally, those are things that really piss me off. Okay. S- you know. Yeah, that's a huge one. I needed a little bit of a, uh, yeah, prime yeah. the pump a little bit. Yeah. But that I won't, and I won't say anything else. But that that's a big one. So I did, and I've had some guys, man, that I respect here, big time, jump my shit, man, for a couple good times that I'll never forget. You know, mm-hmm. and you don't forget them when they're from somebody like that that yeah. you that you, you somebody you really respect. You don't forget those moments. And um, I was playing with a drummer one time, and. Uh, we were playing like um it was kind of a blues funk kind of gig you know where we got a chance to solo a lot and and i was taking a solo and i really i like one thing i do like is i'm like you man i i i want to listen i want guys i want to play with guys that are that have jazz sensibilities and they can really play dynamically and bring it down like when when somebody's about to take a solo man let us determine the dynamic right you know let us bring it down to to almost a whisper and then build it up if it needs to. That's something that I really enjoy doing because I that I can take a deep breath at that point and really create some space to try to play something that means something. And if the band is already at you yeah. know they're 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 peaking, it, I, I kind of shut down and I'm like, man, I have nothing to add to this anymore. You know. So we were playing with this uh, drummer one night. Of course, I'm not going to name any names, but. Um, I kind of try to do that. I was like, I was like, hey, you know, I kind of, and I don't, I'm not a, a Nazi where I'm going to look at him and go, hey guys, bring it down, you know. Yeah, I just right. sometimes I'll just kind of motion like that, and yeah. most guys will go, okay, man, Guthrie wants to bring it down. Right. All you got to do is just drop your shoulder a little right. bit. It's not or like just play real soft, or just start playing soft, yeah, or whatever. So you know, and then, so this guy, his girlfriend was there or something, and hadn't seen her in a while or something, and he was just, you know drum filling all over the place and playing so busy and I couldn't do anything and I, I did I kind of barked at him a little bit I ended up apologizing to that guy a couple months ago I saw him out somewhere and I, I, I said man I'm really sorry for biting your head off that night and he goes man no I guess he goes I was excited my girlfriend was there and showing off and, and I and I just said I'm sorry but I did I turned around to him and I said hey man I said it's my solo which is one of the rudest things I've probably ever said to anybody on the band. Well, you know, but, but he, but he, he needed a little 
like he just needed a little wake up call. Yeah, because and, it wasn't happening, you know. And even even like which which and you know I mean I'm not being Judge Judy or anything, right? Here, right. But I think you were justified in my opinion, but yeah, even, my, my point yeah, is even even if you weren't. We're humans. That's part yeah. of the thing. I mean, right. we're not. You know, you're not going to be nice to everybody all the time. Not all the time. You're going to have bad moments, both yeah. playing and as a human being. Mm-hmm. And if you're frustrated with yourself, sometimes we overreact to other people when we're just frustrated with ourselves. Right. And we all know that. Yeah. You know. And yeah. And it's there are uh, there are bad times to do that. So it's like in public. <laughs> <laughs> right, right, right. And I'm kind of a shoot from the hip kind of dude anyway. But I'll tell you one more, one more pet peeve. Um, here's something that really I, I don't like to put myself in this situation at all ever. And it's and it's and it's it, it's when there's too many guitar players on stage at one time. That's always difficult, isn't and, it? And that can be very. Uh, what's the word I'm looking for? It can be very. Um, uh, every situation's different. Like if I got up there with you and Pat and Jack and that level of players, everybody would be listening. And you got to be willing to take your. Yeah. If you are in that situation, if you're at the NAM show or you're at a convention where the promoter goes, "Hey, this is going to be great. We're going to have an all yeah, the cl- all star jam," the which means fuck. a clusterfuck, right? Yeah, yeah. So yeah, you've been there a gazillion times, I'm sure, and we all have. But um, I don't enjoy that very often. You know, I, I would say that I, I can count on one hand the amount of times that it was mm-hmm. that it even approached what the intention was. Yeah, you know, I mean, that it would have been better with just one of us or two of us instead mm-hmm. of twelve of us or five of us. I was listening to this, and you did it the other night, and I love this dynamic. Um, but yeah, that's a, that's something that guitar players are just, and everybody's playing at the same time, and there's no yeah. there's no space, and it's just a fucking right. disaster, right? So that's a big one. But you did something the other night, uh, last night, that was awesome. And I don't, you know these guys, but I've been, um, this bass player turned me on to these guys a long time ago, and I still like like these records. But it's it's Willis Jackson and, um, um, uh, Willis Jackson and, and and one other guy, I can't remember his name, but it's a, it's a jazz guitar player and saxophone player. And, uh, and it's the first time I, I think I might have ever heard this, but... It's like they're they're swinging along, and all of a sudden, the drummer just quits playing altogether, uh-huh. and it just creates such a awesome dynamic, you know. And you did it the other night. You, yeah, you, stop you were, time a lot. You stop time. You're you're yeah. playing, and yeah. and and you, you turned around, and everybody stopped, and it was just you for a minute. And it was just like, man, it's just an, it's a great dynamic. Yeah, it's just a great dynamic. I mean, and, and in that situation of. 10,000 guitar players on stage or or two or th- or whatever instrument you're playing a lot of times man I'll just take my hands completely off the fingerboard I don't feel like I think it's important to not have to feel like if you stop playing the band's going to fall apart exactly you can take your hand off the instrument and everything's just going to keep going just fine yeah you know exactly exactly unless you're Tommy Emmanuel yeah <laughs> <laughs> right, right, right. And then everything right. will still be fine because he'll probably think of something funny to say. <laughs> <laughs> right, right. But, um, uh, you know, I mean, in a way, yeah, which feeds into a bigger picture item for me. I mean, you know, and even for the trio, this mm-hmm. is, you know, the way we, we, you brought up. Mm-hmm. I like, and I mean, maybe it's because I was brought up by guys like Barney Kessel and Ray Brown. Mm-hmm. You know, they were like real 
mentors to me mm -hmm. and really they had a very adamant belief of how it's supposed to go mm -hmm. and uh, you don't just play mm -hmm. you arrange you orchestrate mm -hmm. and, and and I like to use the word strategize mm -hmm. and that means you have to call your imagination in mm -hmm. and like say well you know we just did this mm -hmm. What goes with that? What's the next thing to do? I just took a solo where I just like did the old climax orgasm thing or whatever. Mm -hmm. You know, I don't need to do that with this one. I just right. played a big ass chord solo. Maybe just stay mm -hmm. with line. You know, right, right, right. And or like as you're building your solo, what goes after what? And, mm -hmm. You know, and and what cues can you give the rhythm section to let them know? Well, I don't want to play in four now. I want to play in two. Mm -hmm. I want to be more interactive, you know, and it gets harder as you add more people mm -hmm. because then it becomes more important that everybody has a role mm -hmm. or it will, it will become just a And you have to chaos. communicate that to everybody, yeah, everybody you know, else. You, know, you, get, you get a page. quartet versus a trio. Mm -hmm. All of a sudden you got one more person, which means everybody's got to stay in their lanes a little more for mm -hmm. it to work right. Right. And that, that means we all kind of go a little bit more asleep mm -hmm. with our preconceived ideas of what's happening. Mm -hmm. And, like, ways to break that up are things like stop time, things like, you know, yeah, I mean, what do we do? Usually it was, you know, one guy solos and the next guy solos. And usually in jazz it's like the, the, the leader, horn, guitar guy, then the keyboard, mm -hmm. or the guitar guy, then the bass, then the drum. There's like a, like a, a order. Right, right. And it's like after you've done that twice... Mm -hmm. Maybe not have a drum solo in this one. Right, right. Maybe not have a bass solo. Maybe, mm -hmm. maybe let the piano solo first. Mm -hmm. Right. Like, I mean, I was really strong about like, well, if, if, you know, if Pat's playing the melody, then I should play the first solo mm -hmm. just to give a new voice to it. And totally. Then, or yeah. let Charles have. You know, yeah, I, mean, yeah. I, I was all night. I was trying to think of how many ways to mm -hmm. make this combination interesting to the ear, right? And even to the people that weren't paying attention to that, right? It's just mm -hmm. there's a sublim just that we're thinking that way gives the music that quality. Yeah, sometimes the the audience can tell something's not wrong, but they the audience could tell. Hey, something might be a little off or something. They can't tell you what it is, but right. they know. They right. can feel it, you know. And so, like, okay, well, you know, shit. We just we've been, you know, we've been taking solos all night. How about if we just share a solo? Mm -hmm. How about well, we can do it a couple ways. One, we could trade and then play together. But right. one, we could just kind of like make it like a conversation. You say yeah. something, I say something. I don't right. know. Maybe you played eight bars. Maybe I played two. Maybe we just kind of go along till we're done. Exactly. You know, and that's that's the kind of way to me. That's how I like to play. Yeah. I mean, that's how I even play solo. <laughs> well, know? and something that I've been trying to, and I need to talk to somebody like you about it for at length at some point in my life, but one thing that I've been trying to to kind of realize that, that might be, you know, going on with me and, and maybe a lot of other guys too, but as a guitar player, we're looking at that fingerboard and it's very visual and we get caught in there's these patterns and this muscle memory and i forget like look man there's there's a big difference to, to me between being a really great guitar player and being a great really great musician uh -huh. oh definitely you know and being able to stop like you know I, I i'm not i don't have the ear that you do or pat or jack and like to get to the point where you can really hear 
what's going on versus like, okay, yeah, I can play the guitar, but, you know, at what point do you become a really great musician to where you could do that on any instrument that you sat down? Like, if I sat down at the piano, could I still find the harmony and everything that I needed to find? You know you know what I mean? I mean, right, of sure. course you do, but... Sure. Like, you know what I mean? It's that, Well, you know, I mean, it's first of all, I, I would not... You know, I, I love your esteem for us, but you're in there. I mean, I've heard you play, and and some of the things that I really am so impressed about your playing is your your taste and your your just your intuition of how to make you know think everything you Thanks, do is man. right, and it's you know, and so whether you think about it or whether you just naturally do it. You know, some of us have different ways of going about things, mm-hmm. but you've got that in spades. I just, I, I couldn't agree with you more that there is a distinction between, in my opinion, between guitar playing and musicianship. And I think oftentimes we as guitar players, maybe because we can actually, it's an instrument that allows you to practice 12 hours a day. Maybe that's it. 14 yeah. hours a day. You mm-hmm. can play that instrument, your chops would never get tired. Yeah. You know, you physically wouldn't break down. Mm-hmm. We can do that. And so we can kind of get real, like, motor conscious. Right, And right, make right. that the big thing about playing. Right, right, and, and the chop. And really, I mean, I like to use piano players. I like to think of, you know, Herbie Hancock and Keith Jarrett and Chick Corea. I mean, mm-hmm. these guys play everything. Mm-hmm. They play classical. They play jazz. They play Latin. They play, you know, mm-hmm. they play rock. You know, they right. everything. Mm-hmm. Blues, ragtime, you know. And yet... They sound completely different from each other. Yeah. Well, why? If they can do anything they want, Mm -hmm. why do they sound different? And the reason is, is ultimately they hear differently. Okay. And and so what I take from that is, how much time are we spending nurturing and developing how we hear? Mm You know, yeah, we're developing how we play when mm-hmm. we practice, but are we really reminding ourselves to nurture how we're hearing? Like, right. by by taking something you're already playing and being that kind of that engineer dude mm-hmm. and saying, what happens if I do this? What happens if I do this with this? Mm-hmm. What happens if I play into it from here? Mm-hmm. What happens if I play out to it to there? Mm-hmm. You know, I mean, yeah. Like, find out what happens if, you know, and if this works against this, maybe this will work against it, mm-hmm. you know, and like really kind of challenge us to, to, to you listening. know, to develop the hearing side as we're developing the right. motor side. And, and I mean, and, and I think it's really, it's not, I don't think, you know, I don't think it's the thing we talk about enough. I think yeah. we kind of get just guitar fixated. I've been thinking about it a lot lately because I've been teaching more. And I think a lot of these guys like the way I'm teaching them because I'm uh, what they 99% of these guys are just wanting to try to figure out how to get out of the scale and pentatonic box. They want to learn how to play over a, a chord change as simple as possible, but they want to know how to get out of that. They're stuck in the pentatonic and the scale. Right. And so I'm trying to find ways to 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 get these guys out and since I am not coming from a very theory uh, background a heavy background I'm kind of showing showing them my hillbilly way of of like outlining the chord and and you know it's not wrong but some of it is probably a, a little different than the way 
maybe a trained musician would teach this, right? Maybe, yeah, theoretically, and they theoretically, may lay it out differently, but you're actually doing the same thing. And trying to get them out of these some of these things. but And so I've been thinking about it more and more and more, and a lot of guys aren't listening. They're not listening. They're not, they're not even as a very beginner player, they're not hearing the difference between major, dominant seven, major seven, and minor. Even those four things. That's what I'm going to try. Man, play this chord. L- really listen what that is and lift that finger up and make an A7. What does that yeah. really sound like? So that, I call it the tonal backdrop. That chord is your tonal backdrop and foundation. And when that chord changes, you then can change your lead playing to outline that chord. And I'm trying to get them to really see like A to A7 to D, how the flat seven leads you to the major third of the next chord and how that can kind of start creating like, you know, a little bit of how playing over a chord change with sound, right? right? Outlining the chord. But, and you do need to know those shapes. I mean, you know, one thing that got me a little bit more comfortable up the neck was learning, you know, C here, your A shape, C, what people call the cage system, right, which sure, I just sure, learned a yeah. year ago that that was what that was called. But yeah. it changed my life when I was 13 and I went, wow, okay, there's a C here, but there's also five... More major shapes up the fingerboard. That really helped me a lot, you know. So I try to teach that. And like, hey, man, this is really important to me. uh, And this might be a good way for you to start checking something out. But it's amazing that these, you have to really tell people like, look, man, it's really important to like, you you know, as far as I'm concerned, if you want to learn how to play uh, some of these choice notes over a blues song, you need to go listen to a lot of really good blues music. Yes. Like, go home and listen to some B.B. King records. Listen to some guys like, you know... Albert King. Just yeah. listen, listen to all the Kings. Yeah. And, like, you know, some whoever you want. But yeah. what, you, gotta, you need to listen to what these sounds are, what it sounds like. And, man, there, a lot of guys just aren't doing it. No, no, they want but, it. That's why they're paying for lessons. And they want an easy way know, to do yeah. it. But, but you know, that's a whole other conversation. But, I mean, you know, I'm just looking at that like, yeah, you know, getting away from just looking at the guitar. I mean, even a drum kit. You sit down behind a drum kit, you can't see anything. It's just you've got that, you know. Yeah. Like, you can't like, – there's not this, like – I mean, the guitar fingerboard is like – a grid. It's like yeah. a grid. Yeah. yeah, it's a grid. And there's all these shapes, but right. they're playing the shapes, but not uh, hearing hear it. Well, you they're know, I mean, it. guitar is yeah. a very weird instrument. I mean, and it's like, it's kind of made my ed- ed- education business. Yeah. Um, how do I put this? Like, the guitar, it's not the way I learned it, but... The guitar is, I mean, I have this feeling that the, the idea of rhythm and lead mm-hmm. was a conspiracy to keep guitar <laughs> players stupid. I mean, imagine saying, uh, I'm, I'm a rhythm keyboard player. I'm a lead <laughs> no, keyboard player. I know, man. You know, I'm a rhythm bass player. I'm a rhythm drummer. It's like, yeah, I'm a lead drummer. You know, I'm like, like what, what the hell is this? I'm, what, I'm a lead drummer. You know, what do you mean by this? Well, we know a lot of them, but that's another story. Um you know, I mean, but and what that's done, it's given guitar players the false impression that mm-hmm. rhythm is playing shapes and lead is playing scales. Mm-hmm. Neither of which are true. Right. Neither of which are true. Right. And um, 
That's a great point. They're, they're helpful ways to learn the instrument. Don't mm-hmm. get me wrong. I mean, that's for sure. But ultimately, melodies are harmony. They, they, mm-hmm. they, they tell us what the chords are. You listen to a melody, like you know when the chord needs to change. Right. For that. You can hear the chords mm-hmm. in the melody and vice versa. Mm-hmm. Harmony is melodic. Mm-hmm. And so, if your chords, sh- they should lead to each other, mm-hmm. you know. And 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 certain notes move to make that happen, and then certain notes connect them inside that. I mean, if you've listened to th- classical music at mm-hmm. all, you'll hear a symphony, and there's all these voices moving around. You can, you can hear all these chord changes mm-hmm. happening, right? And um, and that's what we're doing. And so, being able to break it down so that we start to conceive melodically through harmony and conceive harmony through melody Mm -hmm. and have it all sort of work together so that it you know that that a a line isn't just an event that happens between two shapes Mm -hmm. but it's actually something that serves the bigger purpose of the music and that's I hate to say it you know outside of jazz the best players do that Mm -hmm. but outside of jazz most players don't do that Mm -hmm. if I mean I hate I hope I'm not sounding like I'm putting people down, but you know, like you can hear their time change when they go to play a fast line mm-hmm. from when they played a, a melody or a chord. Mm-hmm. All of a sudden, their time changes. Why? Mm-hmm. Because they're it's it's a finger event that they're demonstrating mm-hmm. between two things. Right. It's not part of everything. Right. Right. It's like their mind either mind changed, their time changed, their tone changed. Yeah. And you hear that all the time, right? And um, and that's where and and you know in a lot of styles that's kind of how it's almost built as if the fast lines are mere ornaments. They're mm-hmm. not really part of the music. They're just sort right. of like the tinsel on the tree. Yeah, they they're not really the meat of. Which them. is why we hate licks. Yeah, and to go back to records that aren't lick based, and it's stuff that moves us for the rest of our life right like I don't, I'm sure you're a huge Wes Montgomery fan oh god I mean I put on I, I don't know half the stuff he's doing or uh, half is being generous <laughs> I don't know you know there's very little that I know that I'm doing but when I hear that when I hear him play it's like man I can I can listen to that music for it's like a velvet uh, uh, blanket you yeah. know I mean it's just every note to mm-hmm. me sounds perfect right because you know? there are no licks in there yeah and um, I mean, the only difference between a lick and a phrase, I guess, right? Because mm-hmm. that's what they are, is a lick you think mm-hmm. and a phrase you hear. Yeah, right, right. That's the yeah. only difference. I love that, yeah. So, I mean, right there, that's telling all of us. It's like, hey, if we think I'm going to play this thing, mm-hmm. just don't play it. Right. Just don't play it. Unless, like, okay, I'm in shit trouble here. Mm-hmm. I got to get back to this chord. I got to end my solo. I got right. nothing to fucking say. Okay, I'll plug in number one right here and th- get, yeah. get the fuck out of I, here. <laughs> this, do the do the dismount, you know what I mean? And get the fuck out of here. When you've painted yourself into a corner right. and you got to get the fuck you out. You pull old number one, the <laughs> yeah, emergency right. ripcord, rip you know? Right, but right, other right. Than Or that, hit the wah-wah pedal. Other, yeah, and right. keep going. Yeah, I don't have one of those, damn it. Or a Bixby, you know, Me the treble. Yeah. But, um, <laughs> you know, but that's, 
to me, that's, you know, we can all do that to ourselves. And again, the, the phrases we play came from licks. We, 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 if you like, you know, I don't care whether it's, whether it's Chet Atkins or George Benson or Wes Montgomery or, you know, or Jimi Hendrix. Right. You take something that they did and you love it. And, of course, at that point, it is a lick. Mm-hmm. You play it enough. Now you know what it is. Next thing, what do you do? You're changing it. You're playing it your way. You're not, it's not a lick to you anymore. It's mm-hmm. yours. You've taken it. You've digested it. It's your piece of vocabulary, just like you learn a word. You right. know, you know, you learn the word and you say it in a few sentences. Next time you just need that idea, you pop the word out. Yeah. And that's kind of how we need to really, we need to stop thinking about, okay, I got an E minor chord, so I'm going to play the scale. Right. Because... I'm here to tell you, I never heard a scale that sounded good. Mm-hmm. I'm sorry. Yeah. Never once. Not by anybody. Right. They're necessary. We need to practice them to get our technique together. Mm-hmm. We need to practice them just to know where the consonant tones of the key are. Right, right. The, 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 there's information there we need, so we do need to practice that. Mm-hmm. But if anybody thinks while they're playing those fuckers, when they're practicing, that they sound good, mm-hmm. they need to open their ears and realize this is not a... Right. Musical thing. It's the um, it's the alphabet, not the right the conversation. Exactly. Just, I mean, yeah. it doesn't sound good. Well, right. Then why are people playing them? Mm-hmm. Right. Yeah. They're I mean, in public in scales should not be played in public. I mean, that's, this is my <laughs> right. feeling. You know, it's, it's awesome. like yeah. you know, you don't wank in public. You don't play. In, <laughs> hey, I got I mean, one last question for yeah. you. And see, tell me if you agree with this. But so, I've been thinking about this too a lot lately, and and because you know with um. Um, and, and I'm talking about um, uh, influences and people's, you know, kind of creating their own yeah. uh, style or voice or however you want to want to say it, their identity or whatever they're going for or or, or not going for anything and just de- developing it and, and coming to that place where you go, hey man, this guy has a distinct style. So versus you know somebody that just wants to sound like Stevie Ray Vaughan, mm-hmm. and that's what. That's all they've learned is that, and they sound like that guy, and that's it. But to me, I always look at it like I kind of look at it like a family tree. Mm-hmm. Like there's probably about five guys that we're all gonna agree on as guitar players. Like you know, just take for instance, like okay, let's say Wes Montgomery, BB King, um, you know, Django, uh, Charlie Christian. Uh, or, and what Jimi Hendrix did I say that Great, no, you okay didn't. say you say you got those yeah. five right like most people I would say maybe 90% of guitar players maybe would agree that like okay man those are yeah. some of my top favorites right yeah. icons whatever you want to call it well from that list of 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 people then it gets it starts getting more and more personal as the list goes down right. and so if if you just took B.B. King and you just want to sound like him well then you're going to sound just you're going to sound a lot like B.B. King but if you take all those guys and and, and that's a pretty diverse list maybe because a guitar player came up with it but you know if you combine Django and, and Jimi Hendrix and B.B. King and you know Charlie Christian and Wes Montgomery then you, maybe you're going to have a pretty cool style but my point is is like all that stuff starts kind of trickling down into what, what makes us more personal because down here as the list grows, I'm probably going to go over here and I'm going to like some guys that this guy over here might not like. And I'm going to draw from all these influences of stuff I like right. and eventually come out with some sort of style, hopefully, 
on accident or whatever. I, you know, I is, think even. I mean, yeah. is that is there any merit to that yeah, thought? Totally, I mean, or? I couldn't agree more. I mean, but you just, in many ways, you just na- mentioned one aspect of it. You know, but yes, that's huge. I mean, also, there's other instruments. Right. You know. Yeah, and, yeah, yeah. And, you can and, take and, it as far. Well, yeah, 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 that's yeah. a big thing because you know, conceptualizing what you want to do mm-hmm. is a big part of your style too you know like you know what you want to make happen here and you just figure out a way to make it happen mm-hmm. you know there are no licks for that right you're on, you're in the middle of playing a tune and you hear it going to this place you have this rhythmic idea you have this mm-hmm. textural idea it could be a melodic idea whatever right and you it's the thing you want to get you from here to get mm-hmm. and 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 because you want to do that you come up with it. Mm-hmm. You're, you have forced yourself through your filter and your concept to push through and find this thing. So you, That's an element of style that, that, that along with what you mentioned. So you, you mean more... So for me, it was all about kind of... I never really heard a sound in my head right. that I wanted to go for. Uh-huh. It was kind of just the product. But of, you you were you were thrown on that bandstand with that country band and you mm-hmm. had to make shit happen. Right. And like... There were times where you didn't have the vocabulary from your family tree right. to just make it work in that moment. Right, right, right. And you took something. It might have been a pentatonic scale. It might have been a major scale. It might have been just some silly, silly shape mm-hmm. and just, you know, slammed it down. You might have used the wah-wah pedal, whatever. Right, right. <laughs> I mean, the, the solo extender. <laughs> yeah, yeah. You know, but whatever you did, you, you made a improvisational creative moment mm-hmm. that either worked and so you continued to do it <laughs> or it didn't work and so then you stopped doing and it little, and you found something else yeah. and, and and again not to, the family tree is huge that's a big part of it and as it grows and the more people mm-hmm. that of course influences but the other family tree is the guys you're playing with and the situation you're playing okay. with like your situation you're in a country band and you're the lead guitar player but mm-hmm. you know I know exactly the kind of solos you have to take mm-hmm. to be in that music. Right, right. And how you develop your style that way. Mm-hmm. But if you'd have been me and you would have been this kid who was basically hired because either there wasn't a piano in the club or there wasn't a good piano player to do the gig, you know, and they just wanted somebody that could comp the changes, mm-hmm. you know, for the horn player or the singer. Right, right, right. You can see how, like, my style developed completely different just because of the situation I was right. in and what okay. I needed to do in that situation I to see. make it work. Yeah, yeah, and yeah. I, you know, I wanted quite the opposite from you. I needed to be more chordal right. because I was filling up more space and yeah. I had to provide all the information for myself. Okay. You see, and so, like, another big element of style is the experiences you have mm-hmm. and just okay. the necessity of what it is you have to do and what it is you're trying to create right and and that just makes you you because those are unique every day that gig is a unique experience that only you are having mm-hmm. right in in the right. role that you're playing mm-hmm. so these are all parts of it you know and where the danger of people who don't play with other people mm-hmm. this you know I mean that's that's why we don't you don't learn as fast that's a big part of it yeah, yeah. is being on the scene and playing a lot mm-hmm. And playing in diverse situations. Right. And then the other thing is, 
and you, you've probably already gotten to this place, but you know, I remember in my 20s, I gotta be me, I gotta be me, I gotta be me. That was mm-hmm. like the big thing. I gotta be me. I got. How am I gonna be me? I gotta be me. <laughs> you know, I got to about 35 or 40, and it was, oh shit, I'm me. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, right, right, right. <laughs> you know, it's just, you're just like, yeah. you are you. You're there, you're you know? yeah. And it's just kind of a culmination of, yeah. of experiences and study and I mean I'm studying just as hard now mm-hmm. as I ever have yeah so I, I mean that that doesn't end if you're a true lover of this stuff and a true pursuer of sound yeah then you're just going to always be looking for the next thing and you know and you're, you're going to go to hear a gig and somebody's going to light some ideas you know maybe yesterday you heard some things I did that you're going to like think about and you're going to bring to yourself it might be just one little little thing you know yeah. that I that I didn't even do but you took from what I did and it became something for you. Yeah. That's what we all are. Right. In my opinion. Yeah. And I think that's the beauty of it. And um, it's not, it, you know, and I'm still, I know, I know I'm still relatively young in life. Four years old is nothing, but it is kind of nice to get past your 20s and 30s because not that I have anything figured out at all, but you do. You, you you are at that point starting to develop a little bit of experience to be able to shed a little bit of light on showing somebody else or at least being able to tell them a story or something that might shed some light on some of this stuff, you know. And it's not like I said, I man, by any means do I don't have No, no, you know, out. I mean I, I appreciate but, I appreciate but, your humility. But you know what I mean? Like <laughs> you know what I mean? It is it is I wouldn't you know, you hear people say that when you're younger, like, oh, man, I wouldn't want to go back to my 20s for anything. Well, hey, man, you know what? I wouldn't because as you get older, you're you're able to reap the rewards of all that experience that you've had for all those years. Yeah. And it, it actually starts to kind of pay off to where, man, you can't you can't um, you can't pay for that time, that, the, that much time that you've spent honing your craft like somebody like you that's been doing this for a long time and you're just a total badass at it you wouldn't want to go back and go man i want to go back to being 30 years old man you've already you've earned that yeah you've, i mean you know I, you've yeah. got you you're, you're i would and i would you're I'll reaping be honest the rewards you, yeah. of being of all this time that you put in yeah. at that point and these young the kids that i see now that are literally you know they're all for a change there are they are a lot younger than i am 20 yeah. years or whatever and you can kind of you can shed a little bit of experience, share a little bit of experience with them. Yeah. It is a kind of a, it's an interesting right. thing. We realize know? we're sharing experience, but we can't teach experience. Right. That's the difference. Exactly. Yeah, you have to spend that yeah. time. Right. And it's a lot of time. I mean, it's 10 or 20 years or 30 or however long. I mean, you know. Right. And, and a lot of the things you learned in music probably weren't even music. They were just life things. Just life shit. That's it, too. You yeah. know, you prioritizing time. time and prioritizing. Yeah. You know, asking questions, you know, about things, getting scared, having, you know, you know, we all have brushes with death as mm-hmm. we get older. You know, yeah. I mean, a near car crash, a health crisis or whatever, right. a parent dies, whatever, you right. know. Mm-hmm. These things all, if we are pers- truly personally invested in our music, then it, then that's there. Yeah. It's part of it. And if you want to learn to do something, try teaching it. Yeah, no shit. You know, because, you know, I learn more from teaching probably than the students do. I do, too, for sure. No question about it. You know, and, and um, man, you know, um, 
I don't, I don't, something to share there, but I can't remember what it was. But man, this has been great. I know it's been like two hours we've been talking uh, about no, this. No, it just oh. feels like it's oh, it's a little over an hour. Well, we, okay. we, we did great. <laughs> All right, <laughs> so I'm going to let you go. I'm not going to talk. Yeah. Your, oh, your last own. thing I wanted to, yeah. to, to share. This is something I've been thinking about lately too. Okay. I, I thought about this the other day. I thought, uh, I don't know what made me think of this, but I thought music is is something to be uh, treated with the utmost respect, but not overthought. That's really beautiful. Right? Yeah. Yeah. Do you think that? I mean, I, I've been thinking about that because I hear so many people overthink it to the point of it not having any life anymore. Yeah, well, but I, but I was trying to. Find I wonder a way how to that is. It. Do you think it's like? I mean, I guess it's always been. I mean, there's a, there's a scientific aspect aspect to music, yeah. and if you want to go there with it, mm-hmm. if you're a scientist and that's really the shit you like, yeah, then you know, you music could make you very happy as just a theoretician and an, and if an your analyst. Your brain works that yeah. way, yeah, and and yet. Um, you could also be the person that doesn't even know how it works mm-hmm. and still make the most beautiful music on the earth. Right, right. Uh, so I guess it just comes down to how it works. I, I would agree with you. I think that in many ways, in the, the, particularly just the advancement of, of our species, mm-hmm. evolution, and then, of course, the technology, the availability of information, right. that we sometimes have a... I believe that the music is skewing towards, and I'm a technical player too, so I mean, but it's skewing towards valuing those aspects, mm-hmm. the uh, valuing the the knowledge, valuing the uh, technical ability, valuing versus like really the feeling, the storytelling, mm-hmm. the experience, right. the... Uh, the artistic aspects, which, you know, like, let's face it, if you can make somebody feel something, laugh, mm-hmm. if you can, you know what I mean? Yeah. If you can make them think, mm-hmm. that is that is really engaging, mm-hmm. you know, and what it takes to do that is not necessarily being smart, it's not necessarily being fast. Right. It's, it's, it's having a being alive and sharing a story mm-hmm. so I mean and I do think that as, as we move through the, the evolution you know technicality is becoming mm-hmm. you know everybody gets better and the next generation gets better and mm-hmm. you know you hear these guys playing so much shit and we think that that's really what it's all about is just copying this guy's playing so much shit mm-hmm. what do you get you just get more shit yeah you know we yeah. do need we need contrast. We it need beauty. You kind of high and we dry need, at the yeah. end of the day. Yeah, it can. Yeah. You know, and um, and why are you doing it? Are you competing? Who are you competing with? Right. Yeah. I mean, Lord knows. I mean, some of the simplest music in the world was some of the greatest. Hank Williams. I mean, yeah, right. it's never gotten any better than that. And that's it's not <laughs> right. like anybody was playing any advanced harmonies mm-hmm. or any slick, right. super slick licks, and you know, or had any high. You know, right, totally. high-powered equipment. Yeah. <laughs> you know, I right. mean, so, I mean, I'm not saying there's anything wrong with those things, but I'm just saying we know that it can work without it. Right, yeah. So, that's, I agree with you. I mean, it's really, and, and really, life is dangerous, but it's not serious. Right, yeah, Don't yeah. Don't take ourselves too seriously. Yeah, that's the other thing. I, I, took, I was trying to find a way to say that without diminishing yeah. the art form. 
Right, you know? right. But I mean, I'm talking about taking ourselves seriously. Well, that too. You serve the music. Yeah. That we take seriously. Everybody, you hear it. I mean, you hear it when you play. Mm-hmm. Hopefully you hear it when I play. Like, that the music is a very serious thing for me. But I don't take myself seriously. Right. And Well, and when I was you younger, know, when I was, I'll, I'll never forget this moment. When I was a kid on, in the bar down there playing, and uh, and I was playing, you know, we played seven nights a week and twice on Sunday or whatever, and and this guy came up to me one night and he goes he goes man don't forget there's more to life than just music and i and i don't know who this guy was or why he said that or what or what was going on but i just i uh i looked at him you know and i was like probably 19 or 18 or something and i looked at him and i was just like man you're crazy you're like, square you know, yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah yeah hey man yeah this is what this is my thing man like what are you talking about you know yeah. and then now it took me a long time to realize there's more to life than just music yeah you know, and and again, not to diminish it at all. No. But it it kind of does help you not take all this stuff so seriously. Hey, man, if you're on a gig and things don't go your way, you know what? It's not the end of the world. Right. Make you it know? as good as you can and fix it tomorrow. You know. So yeah. yeah I mean. I uh, mean, I like to say, you know, music. Life isn't about music, but music is about life. That's great. Yeah, you know, that's that's kind of the way I think about it. And as I, I tell you a little funny story, I have this my, like my surrogate father, this guy Buddy Jones, who's a mm-hmm. great bass player. He was playing with Al Cohn and Zoot Sims. Wow! And they were, it was like a you know they live way out. They were playing a gig way out in like Pennsylvania or something. They're going back to New York City, mm-hmm. and they got this car, and it's got no heater, and it's the middle of the winter. And there's snow everywhere. You know, mm-hmm. it's just a freezing cold night and they're driving down this road just trying to get back to New York after a gig it's probably two in the morning Mm -hmm. three in the morning no heater in this car you know it's zero degrees outside and they're driving (laughs) the snow but it's this beauty you know they're going through the pastures and there's this snow everywhere and there's this beautiful little house down in this gulch Mm -hmm. you know with the snow on the roof and the chimney and the smoke coming out of the Mm -hmm. chimney and Al Cohn supposedly looked over and he says, Squares, what do they know? <laughs> That's right. Yeah, right. That's Here they awesome, are freezing man. their ass off, driving through the middle of the night. <laughs> These so people are in this good. warm home with a fire, you know? Squares, what do they know? <laughs> That's awesome. Oh, man. Well, hey, thank you so much, man, and thank you, you for being me? so generous. Man. Oh, absolutely, man! I it was great. It. I'm so glad to meet you. I'm so glad to get you on the podcast, and let's uh, play sometime. Man, I'd love to. Okay, yeah, thanks so much. Thanks for coming thank on, you got it. everybody. Guthrie Trap. Thank you. Bye. Bye.